Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Hello and welcome to May's All In for Citrus podcast. My name is Abby Taylor and we are in for another great program this month. First, we'll start out with Michael Rogers from the Citrus Research and Education Center. He will explore bactericides with Southeast Agnet's Ernie Neff. Following that, we'll hear from USDA NEFA Director Scott Engel. Dr. Engel began his term as director in October of 2018, and he'll be talking about the importance of Florida agriculture and research funding. Last but not least, Ernie Neff sits down with Arnold Schumann, also from the UF Citrus Center, as Dr. Schumann gives an update on citrus under protective screens, or CUPS, research. So let's get started with Ernie and Dr. Rogers. Thanks, Abby. I'm Ernie Neff. I'm sitting with Michael Rogers, director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Michael, the big news topic recently in the popular media has been antibiotics, or bactericides as we refer to them in the industry. Uh, And the media has been focusing on those antibiotics in citrus. What are your thoughts about all this media coverage, a lot of which is negative? Yeah, thanks, Ernie. Um, my email and phone has rung off the hook in the past several days following a lot of the media coverage, and it, it's mostly you know not very positive for our industry. But um, again, I think there's a lot of concerns out there because people don't understand what we're doing in the industry with these products. And, and the products particularly we're talking about are oxytetracycline and streptomycin. Uh, these are two products that have been permitted for use in citrus for the past couple of years. And, but, but more importantly, they've been used for a number of decades in other agricultural crops around the country. So there's actually a lot known about these products on how to use them um, effectively in other crops, but more importantly, about how to use them um, safely and without causing any reasons for uh, concerns for human health or the food chain. So those, that background on safety of these products was used when uh, the labels were developed for citrus. Um, in particular, uh, there's time intervals that were placed on applications of these products in citrus. And the time interval uh, from last application to the time interval uh, to harvest. And to, allow, uh, to, to make sure that there's not any detectable residues on the fruit once they're picked and, and harvested. Um, you know, in the, in the environment out in the groves, uh, when these products are sprayed onto trees, they, they break down very rapidly uh, due to photodegradation or UV light. So they've made that interval from, interval from last application to harvest long enough so those products won't be around once it's time to harvest the fruit. But that's not something that you hear about in the media coverage uh, on, in the TV or in the newspapers. And Michael, hasn't the EPA approved their use for citrus? Yes, even? yes, yes. The EPA has approved their use, and it, it's passed all the guidelines needed to ensure that there is no uh, risk of of uh, ill effects on the food chain or, or human consumption. Does IFAS, University of Florida, have guidelines for how best to use these products in citrus? Okay, so as of right now, the, these bactericide products are not part of the IFAS recommendations for managing HLB or also known as citrus screening. Uh, when we develop recommendations for using products, whether it's managing insects, uh, diseases, or, or weeds in citrus, um, we do that based on having a couple of years of replicated field trials that shows, okay, when we recommend a product and a grower uses it this way, um, they're guaranteed that they're going to see a certain result or, or that they're going to get a desired result. And you haven't done that for bactericides? 
Uh, we don't have, we've done some work, but we've not been able to replicate and provide a, um, a good rec use recommendation that we feel comfortable with right at this point in time. If a grower was applying bactericides and some are to citrus, what would be their desired result? So in the case of uh, these bactericides, the goal would be to improve the overall tree health and, and more importantly, increase fruit yield. Um, across the state, there's been a mixed bag of results in, in the, the um, applications of bactericides between where growers and also researchers have been putting these out in the field. Uh, in many cases, growers have failed to see um, uh, significant increases in either tree health or fruit yields after about a year or so of using the products. Um, but on the other hand, there are growers who've indicated they are seeing uh, what they think are successes or improvements in their groves following the use of these products. So, the, so there's really a lot of uncertainty regarding how effective these products are for managing HLB right now. Any idea why some growers might be seeing positive results and others aren't? Probably the biggest factor that's uh, affecting the impact um, on these products is the ability to get the bactericides into the citrus phloem inside the plant uh, where the HLB bacteria is located. Um, when you're spraying these products onto the leaf surface, uh, the product needs to move into the leaf move into the phloem so it can contact that bacteria. Um, but without knowing all the details of what different growers are doing across the state, um, all we can do is guess and, and suggest that maybe there's differences um, in what's in the spray tank between different applications. Some growers might be using something uh, in the spray tank as well that might actually inhibit movement into the leaf, whereas a grower who might be seeing success maybe had something in the tank that helped move the products into the leaf. Is anybody in IFAS or elsewhere working to figure all this out? Yes, yeah, so there's a number of projects going on right now, both in IFAS and in other research organizations, um, trying to find ways to improve uptake of not only bactericides, but agri agrochemicals in general. Um, there's a lot of other potential products coming you know, in the future, and so we have folks looking at ways to try to increase the uptake or the effectiveness of products that are meant to be systemic in the plant. So, but, but at this, but I will say, you know, at this time, the bottom line is we don't have data to make a recommendation for growers um, on how to use these products in a cost-effective manner. So, what do you recommend growers do now to improve the health of their HLB disease trees? Well, yeah, and the, the key there is that we're trying to improve the health of the trees, and and to do that, they really need to be very intentional in focusing on their nutritional programs. Um, that's something that we feel very confident is making an impact um, in growers' groves around the state. Um, we've heard our researchers talk about trying to make sure that all the nutrients um, are in the right balance. And so that requires going out quarterly, doing leaf nutrient analysis, and adjusting fertilization programs uh, to account for what's needed in the plant. And also, I'd say right now during the dry spell we're having, it's also important to keep those trees well irrigated because uh, that's really important at this time during a, a fruit, early fruit maturation. Michael, I think you wanted to throw in some information about another event coming up. Yeah, I just want to remind everybody that this fall, you know, we'll have a lot more information coming out at the Citrus Expo, which is uh, August 14th through 15th in Fort Myers. And so, again, you'll be hearing more about the program in Citrus Industry Magazine and through our podcast in the coming months, but make sure everybody gets it on their calendar and joins us there. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks, Ernie. Abby, back to you. Thanks, Ernie. Now we'll hear from Dr. Engel from USDA NEFA. This interview was originally conducted by the UF IFAS communications team, but due to audio difficulties, I'll be reading the questions. Why was it important to you that Florida be one of the first states and programs that you visited? 
Well, I'm relatively new in the job. So my job is to listen to stakeholders in each one of the states. I listen to politicians. I listen to the Secretary of Agriculture. And then take all of that information and assimilate it and then utilize that to deploy resources that are appropriated by Congress so that it can best be used to solve problems of each one of our states. Florida, having such a large agricultural economy, so many people involved in this industry, I wanted to come here first to learn more about what your problems are, what the needs are, and how we can interact together. How do you feel about the state of American agriculture today? And what about Florida agriculture? Well, uh, we, we continue to feed the world, uh, particularly here in Florida. You grow lots of crops that are consumed all over the country, in fact, all over the world now. Uh, there's no doubt that our agricultural economy is under some stress. Prices are often quite low. Input costs are often quite high. And we're seeing the farm economy, not just in Florida, but most of the country right now, under what we are referring to as rural stress. On the other hand, we need to continue to produce food. We need to continue to eat. And it remains a very large part of the economy, both for Florida and for the nation. How important is the role of federal funding of research and extension programs to America's advancement? Well, um, number one, it's a big part of the economy. Employs lots of people. A large portion of the Florida economy does come directly from the production of agriculture, the processing, distribution, or, or sale of agricultural products. So as our economy in this country continues to grow, agriculture needs to keep up. But a lot of these problems that we are facing today are intransigent, they're difficult, they're complicated. We've solved many of the problems in agriculture decades ago that were easy. What we are left with are hard problems now, things that are not simple, they're complicated, and they take many, many people working together, often in very complex teams, to solve. And that's what I've come here to Florida to learn more about. You've got some amazing teams of very, very disparate disciplines but you're solving some of the most vexing problems we have in agriculture today with those teams. What has impressed you most about UFIFIS so far? Well, uh, probably the most impressive thing, and I have said this over and over again during my visit, is that there is no program anywhere in the country better than IFIS in conducting both applied and basic research. And in my opinion, it's the nexus of applied and basic research that really is the heart of the land-grant system. That's where we shine. That's where the best work is done, and that's where the problems are being solved today. And as I've just said, nowhere in this country does it better than IFAS. Why would you encourage those with IFAS and the students to continue their hard work? Well, there are lots of reasons why we need to continue the work that IFAS is doing and continue to work with NIFA, which is a funder for a lot of this work. Uh, first of all, there are lots of jobs. Uh, agriculture is not able to fill all of the good jobs in this amazing industry. These are well-paying jobs. They're stable, and it's good work. Feeding people is, is always something that you can go home feeling good about at night. So we need more students in agriculture. We need more students working in this great industry. Those jobs are here now, and they will continue to be there in the future. Uh, we, we in agriculture know the problems come and problems go. So it's not like some industries where when you solve those problems, you're done. There's always a new pest. There's always a new disease. There's always a new consumer demand for another product or another way of processing food. That only comes from research. Uh, NIFA is a proud sponsor of some of that research, but so is the state, so is the industry, so are commodity groups. 
Uh, you're, you're very fortunate in Florida that you have so many different people, so such a disparate community interested in the success of this industry. What keeps you up at night? What are some major concerns for you? Uh, Florida has strong agriculture, but there are also some unique issues here. Hurricanes are one that obviously come to mind. You're battered by hurricanes, it seems, more and more, almost on a regular basis now. And I've seen the devastating impacts firsthand of what's happened both in the state and some of the surrounding states as these large weather systems have moved, moved through. Uh, extension, IFAS, uh, people at the university, they have stepped up. They've been um, a great help in both man-made and natural disasters. And again, I think IFAS has a lot to be proud of in the way that they have responded to some of these disasters. But there are others that keep me up at night. Some of the agricultural problems that we are facing, citrus greening, for example. This is a, a vexing, very, very difficult and complicated problem. IFAS has been working on this for over a decade now. We've made some progress, but we've not made enough. So we need to continue to work on that. But there are going to be other diseases like citrus greening that will are here today or will be here soon. So we worry a lot about that. The other thing I worry about, particularly for Florida, is how do we keep, how, how do you how do you look at the relationship between the people and the agricultural economy? Uh, your population is growing. Uh, there is more land being urbanized every day. How do you continue to produce food in a, in a state like this, where, which is undergoing so many changes now? That's, an, that's, a, that's a societal issue. Uh, sure, science is a big part of that. But it's one of those things that I think the state, your, your politicians are going to have to grapple with in the future. And finally, what gives you hope? The uh, thing I have most hope about are the great students I've met here uh, the last couple of days. Uh, these, are, these are some of the best students in the state. You've, you're also bringing st students in from other states as well. So uh, they're going to solve these problems. I've talked about vexing problems over and over again. We need amazing students, and you've got here in HIFAS and at the university who will be doing that. You've also got some of the very best staff and faculty that I have seen, uh, not in my current job, but in my previous job at the University of Georgia, by the way, uh, so our football rivals. Uh, but you've attracted some of the very best staff and faculty uh, from other states, including Georgia occasionally, uh, to IFAS, and so you take the best staff, take the best students, the best faculty, put them all together, and that's a recipe for future success. A special thank you to Dr. Engel, to the UF IFAS communications team, and Rebecca Clapp for giving us access to that interview for this month's podcast. Finally, let's go over to Ernie Neff and Arnold Schumann as they talk about the CUPS project. I'm with Arnold Schumann, who is a professor of soil science at the Citrus Research and Education Center, Lake Alfred. Arnold, we've talked about CUPS a few times. Tell us a broad overview of CUPS. Okay, so it stands for Citrus Under Protective Screen. That's the acronym. It's been researched now for uh, five years approximately, since 2013 was the earliest day. And um, in about uh, the last three years, there's been commercial versions of it also from growers. And, and so basically the, the name says it all. Really, it's uh, growing citrus under screens instead of in the open air, and um, the purpose of the screen is to exclude the Asian citrus psyllid and thereby uh, keep the trees from um, becoming uh, diseased with uh, Huang Longbing, HLB. 
And you mentioned the commercial application. We've got several growers now using cups, don't we, commercially? Yes, the acreage is, is still small by you know, relative standards, but it is 250 acres. It's, it's a sizable chunk um, of screen, greenhouse, and that's the commercial acreage right now, and it's expanding. There, there's another 120 acres, I think, uh, starting construction right now. So how has it been working in your studies, profitability, production, all of those sort of things? Yeah, it's a very different system. So, so anybody who wants to go into this uh, must expect uh, basically everything to be different. You know, pest control, disease control of the regular pests that smoke the Asian citrusillid or green ink, but just um, all the other relatively minor pests and disease. So all that is different. Um, it's hotter in there. Um, but uh, the good news is it's been very successful for us on the, on the research scale. We've got one and a third acre. And um, it's been, uh, first of all, it, it gets into production very rapidly. So that's a big plus, a big bonus for anybody wanting to make profits out of it. Because you have to pay for the, the upfront costs, which are high. So we, we harvested grapefruits, for example, in the very first year already. You know, the first season they were in the ground. And then every year thereafter and increasing rapidly. So the first year was about 100 boxes per acre. And for those of you listening, I just have to point out that there was a, um, our system for the experiment here at the university is a hydroponic system. So it is, that's another dimension that makes it different from um, traditional citrus growing. You know, it's very intensive. You can liken it to growing tomatoes in a greenhouse with heating and cooling and environmental control versus growing tomatoes in an open field. But the benefits are there. You get high yields, good quality early yields. And so that, that's what we're dealing with. So, so to get put it in perspective, you asked about profitability. Um, yes, we um, second year yield then, I mentioned first year was 100, second year was in the 300s, uh, third year of yield for grapefruits was uh, 700 and something odd. And the most recent year was the fourth season and it produced 892 boxes per acre. So it's still ramping up. And, and the uh, total... Cumulative total is 2,100 boxes per acre in four years. And the net worth of that, we, we did the numbers because we do sell, we have sold the fruit, is um, in the excess of $50,000 $50, per acre. So this last year, for example, 892 boxes, we received a net price per box of $25.90, I think it was, and that translates to $23,000 per acre in just one year. So... You know, it's, it's, it's completely on a different scale of net revenue compared to outdoor open-air citrus, which is usually just typically a few thousand dollars. This is tens of thousands of dollars. Oh, phenomenal. So, so you need that to make it profitable. So it's a completely different animal. You know, it's, like I said in the beginning, it's not to be compared with any, anything that people even know. You have to put, kind of put it all aside and, and learn a new system. Just like I said, tomatoes had to the growers that went to tomatoes and greenhouses. They must have been scared about that at first, too. I'm sure they were. There's one huge thing on the expense, of course, is the startup expense is a big one for growers, right? How, how expensive mm. is cups to set up? Exactly, yeah. Um, we've learned a lot. So the first time we uh, paid for anything like that was, of course, in 2013, which was Indian River. Um, they set up one there. And then in 2014, we set the one up here at Lake Alfred. And the 
the cost is easy to remember because it was $1 per square foot, so $43,000 per acre, um, just for the screen, just for the enclosure. And then there's additional costs. You know, you've got to put up a little site office or a control room and irrigation and hardware and all that stuff, so um, um, water supply. So it's more than that. But we, so I said we've learned a lot. So since then, especially since the commercial growers became interested in the, and did their own uh, cups, they found a lot of ways to remove, reduce the cost down to less than half of that. So there are now some commercial cups being built at uh, less than $20,000 per acre. So, so that's substantial. And, and it's through, through various ways. They, they either uh, use the materials, uh, less materials by changing the design. For example, less poles. The upright poles in, inside that hold the screen roof up are very expensive. Um, using different labor, even, uh, sources. And then most importantly, the screen. The screen is the biggest single cost. And they, they're importing a lot. Uh, the, the cheapest uh, sources are from overseas, especially China. Very briefly, Arnold, how about production costs for cups per acre versus traditional outdoor production? How do they compare? Okay, comparing the same thing indoors and outdoors, I just have to specify it's not comparing with juice processed fruit at all. This is, this is comparing fresh fruit production in these greenhouse with fresh fruit production in the open air. And both are quite, well, open air, fresh fruit production has always been higher. Um, because more sprays are required. That's the main thing. The fruit has to be better looking, has to be blemish-free uh, as much as possible, so it requires more sprays, uh, fungicides in particular, um, and also miticides, because the rust mite and greasy spot in Florida and in the climate we have here are, are some of the biggest causes of blemishes of, of fruit, especially grapefruit. So, so the, the, you, you could say take that, take the outdoor fresh fruit production prices and then multiply by maybe one and a half, maybe two for the cups. So, okay. so it, it is higher because the humidity is greater and there's just more, um, there's less natural enemies because it's closed. So a lot of the natural enemies are too large to get through the screen. The natural biocontrols that a lot of, for example, the rust mites would have in the outdoor environment. But of course you're getting a higher production and that's right. more yield. Yeah. Uh, any final things you'd like to add about cups? Um, so I've mentioned, you know, the potential. We, we are working, yeah. Uh, so, so to look, something to look out for is, uh, our economist, um, Dr. Singerman here at the, uh, Lake Alfred Research Center. He is doing the, uh, cost analysis, the detailed cost analysis, economic analysis, I should say. So he's adding in the cost of production that I've, I've given him what we, what we spent. And, um, we will be getting a more complete and, and clearer picture of the economic viability. But, Without a doubt, um, certainly the system we prototyping here. If you're making over twenty thousand dollars an acre and your costs are, you know, not five thousand dollars per acre, which they are not, then it's clearly a good net profit. Um, but but we will get the details because you have to look over that, look at that over enough years to make sense of it, to pay for your cost of investment also, which is your screenhouse. But um, I'm optimistic that there'll be a, a break-even point in about the sixty-seventh year. And then, um, you know, your return on investment is guaranteed after that. Excellent. Arnold, thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Abby, back to you. Thank you to all of our guests this month. And as always, thanks to Ernie for all of his help. That's a wrap for May's All In for Citrus Podcast. 
Again, I'm Abby Taylor. Be sure to tune in next month for all new updates from University of Florida Citrus Research. And a quick reminder that grower registration for the 28th annual Citrus Expo opens on June 1st. All pre-registered growers again will be entered to win a John Deere gun save courtesy of Everglades Equipment Group. You can register at citrusexpo.net slash registration. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.